0: we talked with Dr. Kyle Johnson about place and space leading with psychological safety. Thank you for joining us. And today we're going to continue our conversation with Kyle.
1: You know, So we've talked a lot about uh, psychological safety, wellness and wonder, space and place. And I I would invite us to take it a step farther now and talk about when it's not there, if that sounds good with you. Because what I think is there's times as educators, we find ourselves in situations where the learning environment may not be perceived as safe for uh, risk-taking and learning and sharing thoughts and making thinking visible and engaging fully in active learning uh, because of the vulnerability. And so I suspect there's probably signs and cues that we could see as educators if we're astute that gives us a little pulse check on perhaps maybe the integrity of the safe container may be compromised or the space and is in jeopardy. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what those signs or cues might be that educators can pick up on, and maybe how they can address it and and deal with it.
2: Yeah, that was that's a that is a that is a challenging question to think about. Is what do you do when you realize that the environment is the the safety is being is being threatened? Um, I think that you know we talked about cues of. what what it does look like um, when, when learners are saying, you know, I did, I made a mistake or I was wrong or I, you know, or they, you know, they raise their hand and, and they're willing to ask that question. You know, I think it takes a lot for learners to raise their hand and say like, you know, this might be a dumb question. Um, I think that that is, you know, and then we tend to say like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's, that's typically our response to that. But I think that that's a sign of, psychological safety they feel very safe to share that question I think I think that when we see it not happening um, is when you get people that and it and by by all means I'll say this this doesn't happen in like your first teaching experience like the first time you teach in front of a group of people and you ask a question you're likely gonna hear silence you're likely gonna hear you know like nobody's gonna want to raise their hand um, uh, I also think that, when I had, when I used to have, when I used to end class, and a whole bunch of learners would come up to me and say, um, "I had this question. I had this question. I had this question." I'm like, "Why didn't? Why, why didn't this come out in the class? Like, this would have been a great question." I think that's a sign to me that I've got to be more inviting of questions. I've got to be more inviting to to share that risk. Um, but I also think that I also think that one of the things that we can do is is when we're in class, it's like our time to be on, right? It's like our time to be the best that we can be, which requires so much preparation and, and, and things like that. But I, I go back to, you know, what what we would say is over time, like a really good pre-briefing is what sets the stage for psychological safety, letting learners know what's gonna happen, letting them know all of the the things that are to come. Um, and and um, when there's gonna be a break, there's so much that comes Okay, well, I know that there's going to be a break at, at this time, so I'll get a chance to check my phone or do whatever. There's so much power in knowing that. But that also takes quite a bit of time to develop that toolkit to not make it sound clunky like you're reading from a script about pre-briefing because we all, I think, started with a script. I did. I started with a scripted pre-brief, and gradually that's become more, that's become more natural, and it flows, and those students know um, but this is kind of what I do. Um, I think at the very beginning, what I would go back to, and I've shared this author with y'all a couple of times, um, Jeffrey Duncan Andrade says that while we're building this toolkit, while we're building this toolkit of, um, of teacher practices for when we see a, a psychological safe environment start to, you know, to to lose its hold when we see that um, and, and we don't have that task right at hand to wrap it back in. He says that the best thing teachers can do from day one is show up and show compassion to our students. Like that's, that's what we can do. And, and so, you know, I tend to think when I have, depending on the dialogue, you know, when a, when a, when a student begins to ask, when a student asks a question that I begin to think, Ooh, like, you just introduced a risky topic. I think one of the things I tend to do is I say, thank you for bringing forward that question. That's a great question. Um, And sometimes just a little bit of silence helps as well. Um, And sometimes, I, I don't know, when I'm in those kind of conversations, I'm like, let's let that sit for just a second because I'm not expecting, you know, someone to have the answer to that question Um, because that's a difficult question. So let's think about that for a little bit. Let's let it percolate because I know, and I even say, I need to let that percolate too. I think that there are all kinds of strategies that we can use and those develop over the time. But I tend to think, you know, the worst thing we can do is shut down the question unless it's getting, of course, hostile. But I think most times learners are genuinely curious. And I think it goes back to holding the basic assumption, which again, feels very scripted. The first time you read the basic assumption work from, the Center for Medical Simulation. But if learners kind of know that you're not gonna only say that, you can say it's a safe place all that you want. If you don't work to create that, then it's just words. Um, and so I, I tend to think if they see me as an educator working through that, like, okay, that, w- that was a tough question. Let's, let's lean into that a little bit. Then they learn to know that the next time it's asked, that's gonna be the same response for me. That's gonna be the consistency of my practice when we have challenging questions that are brought up about equitability in healthcare or you know, some of those dicey topics that tend to get students really conversing with each other. Um, so I think, I think everybody has a, probably a different toolkit. Those are kind of the ones that I started with, um, uh, but I also think that it doesn't happen on day one. It, it takes some time for you as an educator to learn from your students, um, what works and what doesn't work. And I think being vulnerable and sometimes knowing that didn't land um, is sometimes encouraging to share the next time. Um, it's sometimes encouraging to share that last time. Like, you know what? That that didn't go as well as I thought it did. There's a lot of power in us being vulnerable in front of our students. I know a lot of people tend to also think that that can be used against us later. Um, uh, but I do, I do believe that there's a lot of power in educators um, Showing their vulnerability when they're, you know, when they're not certain of an answer, not having the answer. I think that those go a long way for creating psychological safety when you feel it's beginning to, to be threatened in a classroom setting.
0: That's, yeah, that's great. Thank you, Kyle. And you know, so I just wanted to share some of the words and themes that were resonating with me as you were speaking, which is consistency, um, compassion, authenticity, practice experience right it's going to take falling down a few times um okay. and getting back up there and uh trying it trying it again um i think i heard you also say uncertainty and it's okay to share that uncertainty uh, you know I, I don't have the answer um so th- those were some of the things that were resonating with me what about you rachel I totally
1: agree. And I would add to this anchoring in what I hear is a teaching philosophy, right? So when we talk about for those who are unfamiliar with the basic assumption, the Harvard Center for Medical Simulations uh, t- phrasing of the basic assumption is that we believe our learners are intelligent, capable, wanting to do their best and wanting to improve. And so anchoring yourself in that and, and really explaining to your learners what that means and how does that manifest in the learning environment so you facilitate and keep revisiting that when that uh integrity of the safe container may be compromised, uh acknowledging it, addressing it, and recentering and anchoring, um, I think yes. are really important.
0: I'm also a big fan of the timeout. We need a mm-hmm. timeout, <laughs> right? Not like the punishing timeout, but just like I think Kyle, you said it just a pause, some silence, mm-hmm. a breath. And even just saying that, you know, I'd like all of us just to take a second and and kind of reground ourselves in what we're doing and then go into that basic assumption um however that resonates for you in that moment however you can articulate that
2: yeah i think so much i think so much lands on that basic assumption and you're and i would agree reminding them if if those if those top if you know if, if you start to feel that the safety is threatened reminding them that this is where we're at we all hold learners to this we believe everybody we believe this about everybody and it changes us as an educator. It really does. When you begin to truly believe that in every interaction that you have with a student that we believe is just a curious learner, a curious individual, or, you know, on their own continuum of of, of who they are, um, a lot of work has been discussed, I think, with us about the ladder of assumptions as well. It keeps you on that bottom ladder and, and without getting too deep into it, um, you know, for anybody listening to this, just go Google the ladder of assumptions. Or, Yeah, the ladder of assumptions, just go Google that. And it keeps you at that ground level of, I just received some data. And before I, you know, a learner comes up or a learner in class says something that maybe initially like, oh, wow, that's making me really uncomfortable. It's, you know, I'm not sure how to take that. Um, Or I have a whole bunch of assumptions about that. And the ladder is like, okay, well, you just gave me a whole bunch of data and I know nothing else about that. What I do know is the basic assumption about you that we believe you're intelligent. We believe, you know, and if you stay on that level, it really changes the whole conversation that comes after that, I think. Um, that, that's what I tend to think is it changes everything about what the follow-up question is to that.
1: Yeah, I so appreciate you bringing that up, uh, Kyle. And, and you know, Chris Arduous calls it the ladder of inference. And you're yes. right, like we, we climb up difference. that ladder so intuitively and, and subconsciously without realizing it. So just to validate for folks who may be listening and thinking, oh gosh, you know, this is all well and good, but there's these moments where it's really hard to anchor in this basic assumption. I think it's important to validate that we're all wired that way. That's normal. We all have the experiences where like, what is the student thinking? Or, you know, I think a lot of people can resonate with how did the student get to this point in the program? How did they make it to this class? Right. And and it's this. Visceral knee jerk that that is climbing up that ladder um, and the basic assumption and rooting ourselves back in our teaching philosophy and the tenets of that and for me the basic assumption is one of those tenants of my teaching philosophy helps me climb down that ladder exactly like you're talking about and come back to hang on a second I really do believe that my learners are intelligent capable wanting to do their best wanting to improve and it go back to your wellness and wonder. It allows me to, to tap into that wonder, that curiosity of,
0: yeah. okay,
1: so what is getting in the way of these really well-intentioned individuals um, that's leading to this point? And then I can meet them where they are, get curious and leverage my expertise to help move them forward. Uh, so I appreciate yeah. you bringing that up.
2: Well, and I think if we go back to things about what, what educators can do. So here would be like one, one thought on that is that. You know, people say, "Well, what do I do? How do I do that?" Like, and again, that comes with time. And I would tend to say, if if you as an educator find yourself doing what you, Rachel, just described, like, "Oh, you know," your first thought is, "How did they get here?" But then you challenge that. You're on your way to building a place for psychological safety, giving safe for well, uh, safety um, and space for wellness and wonder. Like you're doing it. So when you say like, what can I do? So much of that is here for you as an educator. And that when you leave a situation, you're kind of like, how could I have done that better? Or wow, I, you know, I did not, I climbed straight up the ladder of inference and, you know, exploded versus, okay, I just got this information and here's what we're going to do with that. If you're doing that internally and, and dealing with that discomfort of how do I, how do I ask the best next question if I'm not jumping up a ladder of imprints? Then you are on your way to creating psychological safety and you are doing your best for a learner 10 years from now to look back and say, wow, they made me feel really well and they really made me a curious, wondering person. I, I tend to think that that's, that's the impact of us going through that as educators. That's the impact that you can have for lifelong learning.
0: That's, so that's good. <laughs> yes, so good. That's great. Thank you. Um, and I love ending with this, um, this idea of things that we can look at as an educator of, of knowing that we're on the right path, right? You know, when I, when I'm checking myself and climbing down that ladder, I, I'm, I'm really showing up the best I can for my, my learners. And I think that's important to, to remind ourselves as educators, that it's a, it's a practice. It's a process. um, It evolves over time and and we're getting there. We're on the right path. It's very reassuring. So uh, Kyle, I wanted to know if you um, were ready for some rapid fire questions.
2: Absolutely. You're going to find, you know, I'm an academic at heart. So some of these are probably going to be very, um, academic rooted, but let's go.
0: That's okay, we are all super nerdy, right, Rachel? Right. Yes, we are, very nerdy. Um, So if you were to write a memoir, uh, what would you title the book?
2: So again, we talked about a lot of these things in this conversation, and and that's even, and this would hold true for the last five years. Um, when I had to think about a title, it would be um, something shifted. How I learned to love uncomfortable conversations, uh, and and so that really would be it. And I, again, I, I, I'd have to channel like Adam Grant and his work on Think Again, um, Rethinking, um, but. It really would, something shifted is a quote that uh, really resonates me f- with me from the book, Educated. Um, I could, I would spend an hour unpacking that. But yeah, something shifted how I learned to love uncom- uncomfortable conversations.
1: Oh, Kyle, so I have a nickname for you and I'm just gonna call you Kyle the Mic Dropper Johnson because every time we ask you these questions, like, and it started with, you know, back when we were doing makerspace conversations mm-hmm. and we'll ask these questions and you have these like pithy, just really transformative, like, oh, Aha moments. Um, so you have a new nickname, uh, Kyle, oh. Mike Dropper Johnson. <laughs>
2: That's Thank awesome. you. I like that. Yep. I like that. I tend to think they're pretty nerdy, but again, I'm, I'm. I feel like we're all we're all nerds at heart. So,
0: <laughs> um, what is on top of your reading list right now for fun?
2: For fun. Um, you know, so I have a Kindle with a whole, again, I think like any of us, we probably have a whole bunch of books that we would love to read right now. I needed a break from anything that made me think about stuff. So it's actually John Grisham. I've never read a book by John Grisham. Um, and I'm actually really enjoying it. So I've got a list of his books that I'd like to read, but I recently read, um, the giver of stars, really, really good book, um, uh, that I enjoyed and the invention of wings. Those are, those are two books that I, I've recently read that uh, were a lot of fun to read. Oh,
0: that's great. Um, what is your favorite quote? Uh,
2: again, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna go back. So one of them would be something shifted nonetheless. Um, and the reason I talk about that is, is it, it really centers for me being something that uh, we're always on this shifting, moving um, environment. But uh, what I think I would say is the one that would has lasted for the long time. Longest time is one by, um, oh my gosh, now I'm going to go blank on his name. Uh, uh, Heidegger. Teaching is harder than learning because what teaching requires is this to let learn. That's it. And there's so much to unpack in that. And again, I think just, I I, I love education. And when I read that, um, that really centers in my teaching philosophy. Um, uh, just to let learn. That's probably one of my favorite quotes that keeps me centered.
0: Uh, you know, uh, that word or that phrase to let, I, the word that comes to my mind is surrender. And that's, that's a hard thing for mm. most of us to do. Um, most of us humans. <laughs> um, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be?
2: Oh gosh, if I could have dinner with one person dead or alive um I think I'd have to stick pretty personal here and it would it would be it would be my grandmother um so she was a huge encourager of me um really uh, as someone that had a lot of healthcare needs towards the end of her life um she got to see me become a nurse she got to see me um uh, uh she got to see me get married she got to see quite a bit of my life but I think where I'm at now um that's who I'd love to tell like about how I became a teacher, she didn't get to see that part of my about of my journey. Um, so I think it would be my grandmother because she she grew up um, with without a lot, and um, and so I think it'd be sitting down with her and just kind of talking to her about where life has taken me. Um, and uh, she never got to meet her grandkids. So again, a lot of that would be really personal, but I think that she'd be at the top of my list because she really influenced me in becoming um, in becoming a nurse uh, and. And I think that her last thought would be, you know, that I would be in the hospital caring for patients, you know, um, and and I think she also knew that I would have become a teacher um, if she would have been able to see that. So yeah, that's who it would be.
0: Thank you so much, um, Kyle, for sharing all of your uh, insights and um, thoughts about psychological safety, uh, And all your mic drops. We appreciate all of them. I am definitely calling you mic drop from now on. And um, (laughs) thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Thank
2: you all. Thank you all for having me. I love having conversations with you all in all different parts of the world and um, uh, in person and via Zoom. It's always a learning experience for me as well and always really enjoyable.
1: Thanks so much, Kyle. And thanks for being a leader in best practices of teaching across environments and a leader in modeling psychological safety. It was a pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of NLN Nursing Edge Unscripted Surface. We hope you join us next time. Until then, remember, whether your water is calm or choppy, stay connected, get vulnerable, and dare to go beneath the surface.